look at today um, is something that I came across this week. I generally don't like to say, hey, God, give me something to speak on this week. Like, I'm going to open up your word and please give me something to speak on. But this week I read something. I go, man, that was so good. I have to teach on it. And so here's what I encourage you to do. If you have a Bible, um, I want you to, to, to try and find the book of Philemon, okay? So where it is, is it's towards the end of the, end of the Bible. It goes Revelation, then there's 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, backwards moving forwards. Then you have Titus, uh, 2nd Peter, 1st Peter, Hebrews, and then you've got Philemon, okay? It's a real small book. If you turn two pages, if your pages are stuck together, you might miss out on it. But it's Philemon. It's only one chapter, but it holds a lot of truth. And if you're lost, if you can't find it in your Bible or you don't have one, it's going to be up on the screen for you guys as well. So go ahead, open up there. We're going to be looking at Philemon chapter one, the only chapter. Um, I was thinking, I was talking to Melissa as she was creating the slides. I was I said, I love in, in times like this to be like, hey guys, what I need you to do is I need you to turn to Philemon chapter 19 because it doesn't exist and hopefully you guys are flipping through your Bibles, but I didn't want to give you too much of a hard time. So we are in Philemon chapter one. We're going verses four through seven this morning. And this is what Paul is saying to Philemon. He says this, he goes, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Father God, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you how it speaks to us, how it calls us to something new, how it affirms us in the things that we're doing uh, in the pursuits that we are making to build your kingdom. Uh, Father, God, I thank you for this morning. It's my prayer, Father, that we would hear this and through it, we would understand what you're calling us to do, but not just know, but then we would go and we would do it. We would put it to action. We would put action to words. And so that's my prayer this morning, Father. Uh, so be with us, open our hearts, open our ears, and Father, put our, put our bodies into action uh, as we engage your word and, and engage you this morning. It's in your name we pray, amen. Uh, so I want to tell you a story about um, a man named Bertram and a woman named Corella. Okay? Bertram was born in 1899. He was born into a family that was like dirt floor poor. Like his wife described that he didn't even have two dimes to scratch together. But he was born in, in 1899, and he, he, he went through life and trying to figure out how to make it work. Um, he worked uh, in his youth, and he worked through the day and went to school at night to earn his degree. And pretty quickly, he found himself uh, with a job at a local bank where he lived. And he learned from the bank president. He learned a lot from the, from the president, what she knew about banking. And quickly, he found himself to become the treasurer of the bank. And when he was 22, he found himself in Brooklyn, New York. And he was this young, aspiring man who wanted to tackle the world. And so he started to take all of his business acumen and his understanding and he put it to work and he quickly found himself incredibly in a position, in an incredible position where he had a lot of wealth and a lot of things to give. As a young man, as a young 20-year-old man, he found himself in the business world being incredibly successful. But shortly thereafter, the Great Depression of 29 came and he lost it all. 
lost his entire earnings, everything that he had, much like everyone else, just about everyone else in America. The Great Depression hits, the crash of the market happens, and he finds himself with absolutely nothing. Meanwhile, there's this, there's this young woman named Corella. And Corella was born in Tennessee, very much in the same way that Bertram was. She was born into a family, a large family. She was the oldest of the family. And she quickly found that she had to stay on top of her schoolwork so that she could get where she wanted to go, but she also had to take care of her family. And so at night, she would tutor her, her, her younger siblings. She would help them along, but she would also work a part-time job. And her family found themselves in Tennessee, but they, her, her dad was a coal miner, and so they found themselves moving all over the United States to follow work that was in the mines for her dad. She found herself in Chicago um, as a young lady going to school uh, full-time, but also working as a, as a cashier. And she worked her way and found herself getting promotions and taking new jobs where she wound up in Brooklyn as well. And they found themselves in 1942, after four years of dating, they found themselves to be married. They continued to, to, to go through life, and, and Bertram was such a hard worker that quickly he regained his fortune, and he regained the things that he had, and it, it, when we look back, he is responsible for building and, and, and funding the building of over 30,000 homes and apartment buildings, and so the, the Bonners was their last name. Bertram and Corella Bonner found themselves in 1956 moving to Princeton, New Jersey, on the back end of, of, of their careers, kind of looking ahead to what's next. They both had an intimate relationship with Jesus and they, they felt the spirit calling them to pour into their community, to pour into the next generation because God had blessed them with this, these, these, these opportunities and these financial gains and God had blessed them. They said, we need to give back. And so they started to pour into their community. And then in 1989, they started what we know today as the Bonner Foundation. They hired their first president to bring it on, and they said, hey, we understand the importance of service. We understand the importance of pouring back into communities, and so we want to encourage students to do, is we want to encourage them as they are going through their, their collegiate and university work, we want to encourage them to do something for their community. We want them to be engaged in service. And so they started the Bonner Foundation. And what the Bonner Foundation is, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great foundation where they award, there's about 12 to 15 schools, universities nationwide, where they um, created this foundation where they say, hey, if you come in, we want you to engage your community, and we want you to serve your community, and in result, we are going to award you some scholarships. They saw that there was academic scholarships for students who had incredible uh, mind, who were intelligent they saw that there were athletic scholarships for those who were gifted athletically, but they said, what about the students that, that, that may just be average students, but they have a heart for service? We need to reward them in some way. They looked back on their upbringing, what God had given them, and they said, we need to give back in this way. And so as they continued to, life, to, continue to, to, to live their life, um, on the back end of their life, they found themselves creating this foundation and Mr. Bonner, he died, uh, he passed away in 1993. So before anyone in here was born, which is weird for me to think of. And then in 2002, before half of you were born, um, Mrs., Mrs. Bonner passed away. 
We're going to fast forward to, to 2005. It's going to date me. 2005, I graduated high school. I'm looking for opportunities. And I'm looking for schools. And there's a school in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania, Waynesburg College at the time. And I was being recruited by the football team. They said, hey, Ryan, we have this scholarship we would like to offer you. It goes along with the football team. It's one is given to the football team because we want someone on the team who displays these characteristics, but also is a, is a, is a half-decent athlete. I think that's the best I ever achieved. Um, and so I found myself walking onto Waynesburg University um, to earn a Bonner Scholar Scholarship. And so I go through my, my years, and in that time, the requirements of it was each semester, you had to do 140 hours of community service. Each semester, fall semester, 140, spring semester, 140, and then two summers, I had to do 280 hours of service. And so this is not, to, not, this is not a, hey, look at me, but in the time that I was in college, I spent over 2,000 hours of my time pouring back into the community because Bertram and Corella understood the importance importance of that. And so today, I want to talk to us about this idea of how we outlive our lives, how we outlive the life that we're living. How do we walk through life, accomplish some things, pursue Jesus? One day, here's a big, big spoiler, one day all of us will die. But how do we continue on after we die? How do we outlive our life? I never met Bertram and Corella. I never met them, but they influenced me and now they have the opportunity to influence you. And Bertram's been gone for 25 years. And so I wanna to talk today about how to outlive your life. What does it look like for us to pursue a life that we're going along the road, pursuing Jesus, and when we come to the end and hopefully through our relationship with Jesus, we end up in eternity with Jesus, how do we still have influence in the lives of people here on this earth? How do we outlive our life? I never had the opportunity to meet the Bonners but I felt their influence. I felt their passion in my heart as I was out doing the mission that they set out, doing the thing that they said, hey, how do we outlive our life? We give back. We give opportunities. And I think as we look into, into Philemon, I think as we look into Philemon, it gives us the, the, the clue and the action item that we need to do so that we all collectively and individually can outlive our life. There's probably people that you know in your life. Maybe it's a, a great-grandfather or, or a, a great-grandmother or, or some grandparent where you know something about them that you go, it allowed me to be the person that I am today. Maybe you can look back, and as we look to the past, we see different individuals or people or groups of people that have helped us get to where we are today, and we look back at them, and we go, man, I am still feeling their influence today. They are outliving their life. I mean, one of the greatest people to have walked this earth, one of the greatest men to have walked this earth that's outliving his life through the power of the Holy Spirit is a man named Paul. He is outliving his life because of the work the Holy Spirit did in him, that we get to experience him and what he's calling us to do today. And so let's jump back into Philemon. 
We're going to plug through it. We're going we're gonna to explain it, but we're also going to identify what it looks like for us today to outlive our lives. And so <clears throat> Paul starts out at the beginning, the first three, he's just saying, hey, it's, it's good to write to you. I've missed you. Thank you um, for, for the work that you're doing. But when we jump into verse four, it says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And I think as we look at this, I think sometimes we all, not realize the importance of what prayer can do. I think sometimes we find ourselves praying, and when we're praying, it's because we're seeking something from God right now or to a, sol- a solution to a problem we have right now. But the thing I love that Paul writes, he goes, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And so Paul says, as I think of you, as I'm praying, as I'm calling out to God, as I'm in community and communication with God, and I think of you, I always go, God, thank you. Paul says, thank you, God, for Philemon. And so here's my question. Who in your mind, when you're praying, when you're living and going through life, when you're praying and you have someone come to mind, who's that person that comes to your mind that you can be and say, God, thank you for putting that person in my life that I get to do life with them. I think we underestimate the, the value and the priority of prayer. And I think we need to do it more. And I think we need to look for greater things that we can be grateful for. We need to ask God to identify those people in our lives that have poured into us that we're grateful for. And then we need to thank God for them. Verse five goes on. It says, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Man, If I wrote a letter to one of you, or your small group leader wrote a letter to you, and they're writing and saying, man, I am grateful for these things that you do, what kind of reputation would you have in their mind? What kind of a reputation would you have in their mind? If they're writing to you, let's say you go off to school, and they decide to send you a letter in the mail, and they just want to encourage you and thank you for the things that you, that, that you have done and that you are doing, what kind of reputation would you have if someone who you love is writing to you? As we look to Philemon, he goes, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus. Man, how great would that be? If when you walk into your school, people go, man, that person has the reputation of love and an incredible faith for Jesus. Man, when she walks down the halls, she just loves people. Like, I don't even know you. I might have not have interacted with you a whole lot, but I know that that's your reputation. I know that you have a, a, a deep passion for the person of Jesus Christ. Imagine having a reputation like that. That's the kind of reputation that Paul is pointing out in Philemon. And then comes our answer to the question, how do we outlive our life? How do we outlive our life? I think it comes to us in verse six. Actually, I'm confident it does. He says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. There it is. Did you catch it? The way that we outlive our life we share our faith. When we share our faith with others, when we share our faith with those that we interact with, with our friends and our acquaintances, with our families, 
When we share our faith, we have the opportunity to outlive our life. That's it. That's right, right there. That's what we need to do. We need to share our faith. Let me read it again. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And so as we're, as we're here this morning, as we get ready to dive in, I want to identify some of those areas where we can share our faith. Some that we may see and some that we may not. So what does it look like to share our faith? I think the first thing we have to understand is sharing our faith. Sometimes that's audibly. Sometimes that's walking up to someone and sharing the things that God is doing in our lives. Talking about our relationship with Jesus, with our friends who are believers and our friends who are non-believers. The way that we share our relationship with believers, we share our faith, we talk about life. Maybe you went to an amazing conference or maybe you just had an amazing, maybe you read something in the Bible and you go, man, I just need to share this with people. That happened to me this week. I'm, there's a couple of you in this room that I'm doing a Bible study with. We're working through Philippians together. And that's what this was for me. This, is, this, this piece of scripture came from my devotion this week. I read it and I go, man, you gotta know this. This is my faith. I need to share this with you guys. And so what does that look like in your life? How are you sharing your faith with other believers? How are you doing that? Paul talks about that's an encouragement to me. There are times where my life is difficult, where, where, where I'm going through it, and it's, it's, it's just hard. And people, it's a lot of you, a lot of your parents, a lot of your small group leaders will come to me and say, hey, Ryan, you won't believe what happened. You won't believe what God is teaching me. And I might be going through a tough time, and I go, hold on a second. You're encouraged? Your encouragement is encouraging me. You know, if you find yourself, you know, maybe, maybe you've, you've, you've been to something that's amazing. Maybe it, was a, maybe it was a concert. Maybe, like I said, maybe it was something that you read. Maybe it was something that you did together. Maybe it was a conference that you went to that the focus was on Jesus. If you walk away from that and you keep that for yourself, you're not sharing your faith. The best thing that you guys can do coming away from a Sunday morning is say, hey, let's go grab lunch and talk about what that meant to me this morning how God spoke to me this morning. And you share that with one another. And what you quickly find is you start to help people go, oh, I didn't see that. That makes so much sense. Or they might find themselves saying, you know, I thought the same thing, but now that you say it, I know that that's affirmed. I know that that's what we're called to do. We should not be afraid to share our faith. We should not be able to maybe sit down with our boyfriend or our girlfriend and say, hey, what's God teaching you right now? hey, what did that mean to you? We should not be afraid to sit down beside our best friends or in our small groups, talk about what God is doing in our lives. Share our faith. Because when we share our faith, it encourages and it builds up the faith of others. It's the same thing with non-believers. We need to be sharing our faith with them because they're searching for something that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. We should not be afraid in our schools and on our teams to say, hey, you know what? You guys, might not, you guys might not believe in Jesus. You might not understand who he is. You may not have a relationship with him, but I do. And this is what I see him doing in my life. This is why I choose to take the steps that I do. This is why my life looks a little bit different. Not because I'm better than you, but because I just have a relationship with this person named Jesus that 
encourages me, that pushes me in the direction that I need to go. You want to talk about a way that you, you guys can encourage the band every Sunday morning, that you can encourage me, that you can share your faith with me and the band? Engage. Here's what I can guarantee you. When the band looks out and sees you guys sharing your faith back to them through, through worship, they go, wow, this is awesome. They're engaging. They're sharing their faith with me. I want to share my faith back. And it's this continual exchanging of our faith that we give and take from one another that, that, that motivates us and encourages us to move forward. There are so many places and opportunities for you guys to share your faith. Is that the reputation that you have? Do you have the reputation of a person who shares their faith with others? I mean, we're called to do that. As I look at, at life, it's, it's, it's the simple thing of if you found out, if you found out, let's say you just somehow came across the, the key for the upcoming ACT and you knew all the answers. Let's say there was nothing wrong with that, okay? We'll just, we'll just play that game. What you would do is you would find a way to give that to your friends. Those people that you know, you're like, I want you to succeed in this thing. I want you to do well. I want to do well. And so I'm going to share with you what I just found out. Maybe you have, maybe there's a job that you're looking for this summer and they pay $20 an hour. They go, hey, I'm looking for four other people your age. What you're going to do is you're going to walk up to your friends and be like, hey, do you want to make a lot of money this summer? I'm like, yes. And you're going to say, hey, there's this place that's hiring and they need four more people. I'm one of them and it's you and me and, and her and him. And it's going to be a great summer. We're going to make a lot of money. I know that that's one of your goals. We would share these types of things. So let's share our faith for the encouragement of others. Sometimes, here's the thing. A lot of the times sharing your faith is not for you. We have to get out of this me mindset. Sometimes sharing your faith is not at all about you. It's about the person that you see who needs it. And it's about God. So what does that look like? What does that look like in your life? To share your faith. Paul's praying for Philemon. I'm praying for you guys. I hope you guys are praying for one another. I hope you guys are praying for me. It says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. We do it not for ourselves. We do it for Jesus. Because we know that there's other people, believers and non-believers, older and younger, guys and girls, who need Jesus in their life. So I encourage you to share your faith in that way. But then there's another way that we can share our faith. There is, it is not limited to the words that we speak. Sharing our faith is not just, hey, let's grab coffee and just talk about Jesus. It's, it's great, let's do that, but it doesn't just end there. Sometimes sharing our faith happens in our actions. Sometimes sharing our faith is in our generosity, how we give out. Bertram and Corella said, hey, we can show people who Jesus are by putting students to work and serving their communities. And so we can share our faith through our generosity, our generosity of actions, the way that we go out into the community. One of the greatest things I, I, I saw this week was a news, um, a news report down in Houston. I believe it was over 4,000 people 
went down to Houston for this, for this mission organization called Eight Days of Hope. And essentially what Eight Days of Hope is, is it's, it's they identify, the organization, organization identifies areas of the United States that has, that has um, had recent uh, natural disasters or, or terrible things that have happened in their infrastructure. So the, the homes and the, the buildings and the roadways and, and, and different things like that. And they say, hey, we're going we're gonna to identify this area and we're going to encourage people to join us in this pursuit to make these communities better, to restore them. And so I'm watching this and it's on, it's on a, a local Houston um, Fox network. And so they said, hey, Eight Days of Hope, the biggest one ever, over 4,000 people have come to help restore the homes of Houston. And they're interviewing different people. And every person that has a personal interview, they talk about Jesus. They say, why are you, why are you giving up a week of your time? Some high school, I'm sorry, some college students who are on spring break, instead of going to, to the beach, they're going to Houston to work. Instead of sweating on the beach, for pleasure, they're sweating in Houston because they want to do service. They want to show others who God is. So everybody that they talk to, they go, why are you doing this? You know, what's your, what's your motivation? What's the thing? And every single person that they personally interviewed, they said, well, we've seen the love of Jesus in us, and so we need to give that out to others. That's sharing your faith. Yeah, it's spoken, but here's the thing. If they're not down there working, they never have the platform to speak. Sometimes we have, we have relationships with people that we have the platform to stand up on it and say, hey, check it out. Here's what I need you guys to listen. Hey, Jesus is doing big things in my life. But sometimes to earn the platform, you got to put in some sweat equity. You got to pay to get that platform with your hands and your feet sometimes. So they're sharing their faith through their actions. And then the last thing, I don't know if you guys have, have been into the, to the, to the main room, into the sanctuary at all in the past month, but we have been talking, Pastor Mike has been talking through this thing that we're calling the saturate movement. The saturate movement. And essentially what it is, is, is Pastor Mike and all the other lead pastors and all the other campus pastors, they, they, they decided, hey, you know what? One of the things that we've seen that, that, that is most effective in reaching new people in reaching new people who are on church is to plant churches. So that is to strategically work with, with a small team that says, hey, here's a location that we want to have a quality, uh, effective, biblical teaching church. We, ha- we identify this and we want to plant a church there. And so what the, what, what the chapel does, what other churches do is they strategically work with a core team who says, hey, we want to go engage this area for Jesus. And what we found is the churches across America that are growing the most, that are growing the most are churches that go out and plant new churches. They go out and plant new churches so that they can engage communities that have not been engaged. Whether we like to admit it or not, it's kind of tough sometimes for a brand new student to walk in here and be like, hold on a second, there's over 120 students in here, I'm out. This isn't my thing. Sometimes people say, hey, my preference is a small developing church and I'll give that a shot. And so what we've identified as the chapel, what we've identified as a need from God's word is we need to plant churches. And so one of, one of the things that we're doing through this saturate movement is we've talked to your parents and the adults, and we're talking to you as well about sharing your faith in the way that you give financially. 
sharing your faith so that others can understand who Jesus is. And we've set a goal of $5 million. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. A lot of zeros. I don't know what that looks like in my life, but I know that it's a lot of money. But from that $5 million, they're breaking up into three different ways. The first one um, is, is Camp Carl. How many of you have ever been involved or engaged in any way by Camp Carl? A lot of hands. So Camp Carl, $1 million of that is going to go to Camp Carl. And Pastor Mike said this so, that I, so, so, so I know I can. Um, what we're going to use the money for is for, is for infrastructure. Like, if, if we're honest, the, the sewage, um, like, treatment facility that's out there, it's not big enough. It's just, it's, it's reaching maximum capacity, and that's never a good thing when the sewage treatment plant is reaching maximum capacity. Like, there's some water filtration things, some, some gas and some utilities, and it's, it's not, like, sexy kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It's not, it's about, it's like, it's, it's poop and water. But it's needed so that more kids and more students and more people can be engaged by Camp Carl. When we do that, if we make these changes, it allows us, it affords us the opportunity to potentially bring in more people during the summer. And so one million of those dollars is going to go to that. One million dollars of that is going to go to our international missions, to the churches that we partner with internationally. For those of you who have been to Mexico, some of those dollars are going to go to Mission House and help them continue to pursue and push Jesus and show others who Jesus, are, who Jesus is. It's going to be in Cambodia, Mozambique, like Hunter talked about, Vietnam. It's going to go to the places that we engage and that we work with. And the last three million is going to go to local church plants. And our goal our goal is by the time our 18-year-olds are 25 years old, we have 10 campuses. By the time, you could do the math. If you're 17, it's 24. You know, you guys get it. But by 2025, it is our goal. We feel that God is calling us to plant 10 healthy, sustaining churches. We're at four right now. Cuyahoga Falls is our next one. It's launching in two weeks officially. And so... Sometimes we share our faith with our mouths. Sometimes we share our faith with our hands and our feet. And then there's other times that we reach into our pocket or into our purse or into our bank account, and we share our faith with our resources, with our money, with what God has given us. How cool would it be? How cool would it be if you find yourself going off to college in a few years or maybe this, this year, and you decide, hey, I'm pursuing this, this specific, this track, and you find yourself graduating, and you find yourself in a, in a place where you're not 15 minutes away from a chapel, but you go, man, I just want to be engaged and involved in a church where I can hear great teaching, where they're going to push me in the direction of Jesus, but I live in, I don't know, I'm just throwing a, I live in Strongsville, a suburb of Cleveland, but I'm looking for a church like the chapel, and I really don't want to drive 45 minutes every morning to and from. Maybe God will say, hey, you know, as we go along this, maybe God will identify Strongsville as an area that we want to pursue. Here's the cool thing. Mike talked about it uh, months ago, months ago, at the beginning of this thing, when it was just talking through it, the Green Campus said, hey, we think that there needs to be a church like that in Maslin, Ohio. We have some families that come from there, and we just see that that's an area where, that just needs Jesus. And so they said, hey, that's what, that's what we're going to pursue. We're going to see if that's what God wants, but we feel that what, that's what God's calling us to do. And so we are going to pursue Maslin, Ohio. 
Fast forward to the beginning of 2018, and we're affirmed, based off of what's going on in Maslin, that that's where a church needs to be. And so how are you going to share your faith? There's a lot of ways, and it's not just, hey, you just pick one and you do that. No, it's let's begin to dabble in all of them. Let's say, hey, God, how are you calling me to share my faith in these different areas? How are you calling me to share my faith with my friends? How are you calling me to share my faith with my, with my teammates? How are you calling me to share my faith with those people that I don't know that well, that I know don't know Jesus? How are you calling me to share my faith with my hands and my feet? How are you calling me to share my faith with the, with the money that you've given me? And here's the thing. Some of you might go, man, Ryan, I've got a job and I work one day a week and I only make like 30 bucks. And so here's the thing. Talk to God and say, hey God, are you calling me to to give? Are you calling me to be generous? Are you calling me to share my faith with my resources? Because here's what I know. Just let's say there are 100 people in here. If everyone gave $3, that's 300 bucks. Three doesn't seem like a lot. 300 seems like more. It's a drop in the bucket compared to 5 million. But here's what I can guarantee you. God has a plan for that if you give it. How cool would it, know, how, how cool would it be and this is, this, is not, this is not at all what I know that's to be. How cool would it be, though, if you said, hey, I'm, I want to go in two summers. I want to go, and I want to be a part of a trip to Mexico. And you get down there, and you see some of the missionaries or mission organizations that we're supporting. And you can walk up, and you can be like, hey, I bought this door. My money went to, to build this door. It's a door, but hey, it's there. And it's helping them do the ministry that they need to do because that door might walk into a kitchen where they've hired some people who get to feed the local community. That, may, that door may lead into a, a dormitorium where, where, where mission, uh, the mission organization utilizes short-term missions for people to rest and to keep the bugs out, you know? Last time I was in Mexico, I saw this tarantula that was like this big. It was awesome. But I didn't want him in my room. So thank you to those of you who gave that door. Maybe some of you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to give. I'm going to give. And maybe one of those pastors, when they launch a church, they'll be, they'll be given a Bible. They'll be given a Bible that they can teach God's word to people from. And there's nothing special about this Bible versus the one you have in your lap or that you forgot at home or that's on your phone. But maybe you can say, hey, I gave. I, you know what? Man, good grief. Seven years ago, I gave some money to this movement called Saturate because we wanted to share our faith. Maybe that money that you gave somehow went to a Bible that was purchased for a pastor who who we've yet to hire. For some of you, Maybe you're like, man, my, my pursuit is ministry. I feel God calling me to ministry, and I want to I, I wanna follow him in that. I want to be a worship leader, or I want to be, be a student pastor, or maybe, maybe I want to be a lead pastor. Maybe it's, hey, I have, I have incredible organization skills, and I want to be an administrative assistant for the local church. How crazy would it be to know that some of these dollars may go to, to fit your salary one day, to put you in a position where God wants you to be? Or even better, it puts someone else in a position where you can say, you know what? I don't know exactly where my dollars went, but I like to imagine that this door or this Bible or that person is in that seat or in that frame or in that hand because of my obedience to share my faith. And so I encourage you guys, share your faith. Paul wraps up with this, verse seven. So share your faith. That's what you need to do. It says, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. 
Man, how awesome would that be? I know that you guys encourage me all the time. But how cool is it that Paul, right there, he's saying, for I have derived much joy. He says, you have given me much joy. You, Philemon. You, students. Hey, here's the truth. You guys give me incredible joy. This is Ryan's letter to GSM. You have given me great joy. I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I mean, imagine that. If you've been, if you if, if you're involved in a sport, if you've ever been to Florida, or you've ever been in you know in Ohio in August where it's really hot, sometimes you and you just take a drink and it's so refreshing. I was talking to I was talking to uh, Emma Gary this week. We were talking about water, how, what, like what temperature we will like a water. And she goes, man, I love it. Ice cold. It's so refreshing. And it feels so good. Like, yeah, like after a soccer practice, she's like, yes. I was like, I like mine a little bit more room temperature because then I can chug it, but it's still refreshing. And so refresh one another. Refresh one another with the comfort that you provide them and the joy that you provide them because you are sharing your faith. Share your faith in every avenue that you go in. The people that you know who love Jesus and the people that you know that don't. Go share your faith with your hands and your feet. Put it to work. Take the vision and the mission of Corella and Bertram and let's go do some service together. Let's share our faith together and work together. And then pray and say, hey God, are you calling me to share my faith financially? Pray and then do that cool thing about the saturate movement it's not a hey one day we want to collect five million dollars it's no over the next three years and so you want to talk about outliving your life how do we outlive your life in high school how does how does how does this outlive your high school life it's going to happen for the next three years so unless you're a freshman you won't see the completion of this it's going to outlive you guys in your high school life But if you're continually giving to it, if you're sharing your faith, you will find that you have the opportunity to outlive your life. Because someone you connect to Jesus, their younger sister might get married one day, have a family, and then one of their daughters goes off to the mission field and starts an incredible organization where future generations of kids get to experience who Jesus is. And you had the opportunity to start that chain. So that when you're, when you're dead and gone and in heaven, enjoying eternity with Jesus through, through his sacrifice on the cross, you can step in. Jesus can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You are outliving your life. There are still things that are happening on earth because of the contribution you made, because you shared your faith. That's how you outlive your life. Let's pray. <laughs> God, I thank you. God, I thank you that that you have that you have that your spirit has called men and women to, to share their faith, to show others who you are through so many, through so many avenues. God, I thank you for the burning desire you've put in our hearts to, to share our faith, to show others who you are. And so, God, I pray that as we celebrate, as we as we enjoy this, this is something to celebrate and be excited about. I pray, Lord, that we would be that we would feel a fire in our stomachs that puts our hands and feet to work, that puts our mouths to work 
that puts our pockets to work for your kingdom. God, I thank you for the way that you've called us to do this. I thank you that you've called all of us to have sacrificial giving where we are, where we are sacrificing equally but not necessarily giving equally. But we can look and we say, I am making a sacrifice for the kingdom and I'm sharing my faith today and every day as I move forward. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul's words to a man named Philemon, a book that's hard to find, but it has a lot of meaning in our hearts. And I thank you for engaging us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys.